What is up? Look who's back. It's Coach Bruce and myself, Brett Pape, and this is the Coach Approach. Stay on. What is up? So glad to be back. Daniel, let's fucking go. Coach Bruce, it's been too long. Good to see you, brother. Man, good to see you, bro. Hey, I'm always good with a well-placed curse word. And our boy Daniel jumping in with let's fucking go. Let's get it, bro. I'll Love tell you what, if you, if you knew me, like, yeah, I, I, unfortunately, as a former coach, and I cut, coach or cuss much more that I should, but it, it just kind of, it's kind of who the fuck I am. So with that being said, coach, how you doing, man? How have you been since we, I think we kind of cut it off after championship week and fantasy football season. And, and for me, um, you know, when you're, you're balancing 37 teams, you've got 11 kids, you've got a job, you've got a, uh, an addiction to golf. Um, you know, I kind of had to take some time away and, and focus on some other things for a while. And I know I need to do the same, but tell you what, Coach, I'm so glad to be back. No, man, it's awesome. Hey, I can't help but, but crack a joke here, man. You talk about golf. If anybody's had the pleasure of meeting my co-host here, Mr. Brett Pape, he's about knee high to a midget. So every time he says that, I think I like dwarf on golf. So we're ready to rock and roll off of that, right? Well, you know Let's what? I'll tell you what. Up until about 12, 15 seconds ago, I missed you. And now, like, he just called me Dorf on Golf. But you're right. You're right. You're probably too old. We'll be fine. To understand what that is. Oh, God. Tim Conway back in the 80s when he was in uh, the uh, the bunker trying to come out on his yeah. knees. You know, that was some uh, good, good TV, good old fashioned TV. I missed you, man. This is awesome to be back on again. And, and I've missed the hell out of you. And it's been a great break for us to just kind of regroup and kind of get things rolling with the coach approach again. And, and I'm fired up and ready to go, man. I am as well. And I'll tell you, you know, it, it's such a, uh, when you talk to people or when you read Twitter and Twitter, I'll tell you, man, I have been really dormant as of late on Twitter and mostly just because I have kind of uh, taken a break, but Twitter talks about how dynasty and redraft all of it. Fantasy football is 365 days out of the year. And I and I get it. I, I do because I, in fact, today I sent a trade offer to someone in my home league and they're like, dude, I've got so much going on. You got to give me some time and uh, probably talk to me after the draft. And I, I run into that a lot with my home leagues. But when you're involved in the number of leagues that you and I are and Twitter leagues or sleeper leagues more uh, specifically as far as the activity is nonstop. And I feel guilty when I have a trade uh, that has been in my uh, DMs for a few weeks and I haven't responded. But, man, I'll tell you, when you when you do as much as we do, you kind of need the break. At least I know I did. 
Well, I think people got to understand, too. I think you and I joke around between the two of us. We had over 60 leagues last year that we were in. And so I know for me, my work has gotten extremely busy. I travel every other week to Southern Cal. I spend half my life living out of a hotel room. And there's days I start at six in the morning. I get home at seven o'clock, get back to the hotel. and I'm going to catch up on 200 emails. And so then, of course, I'm scrambling, getting caught up on the latest NFL news and what's going on with the Twitter sphere and what's going on with rankings and and. You know, it, but I'm addicted to it. My wife will tell you, I absolutely love the fantasy football community and everything about it. So it's just fun to finally get a chance to jump back on and, and share kind of what we've been going through and what our thoughts are in terms of this upcoming season, especially with the NFL draft coming up. Yeah, no, I, the NFL draft is what always brings me back. Uh, my hiatus is, you know, I've been fortunate to be successful in my home league over the years where I've won championships. So usually – after that, you know, I, I take a break. And now since I kind of got involved in the Twitter community a couple of years ago, my leagues have increased from, you know, three to as much as 37 this last year. Thankfully, I, I've cut down tremendously. Um, but with that being said, this is the time where it's time for me to wake up. Like, like I've been hibernating, but now we're about four weeks out of the draft. Now is when as a fantasy football player of 26 years, my process was always that this is the time where I was going to try and get a leg up on my home league opponent by putting more research into the type of kids that are coming out in this year's draft. And so here we are. We're, we're, we're like literally a month away. It's time for us to really focus on the rookies. And, and I'm looking forward to go through that whole process with you here on the Coach Approach. No, hey, we're about a week away. I think that's the plan for next week, right? We're going to dive into rookies. We're going to dive into, you know, potentially a mock draft, coach approach style. And, and, and just for those that get a chance to listen to us for the first time, is we, we're, we're big on um, former athletes that, that got an opportunity to coach, you know, at the high school or college level for many years and, and just take everything we've learned from the game of football and how that relates to fantasy football is really truly what the coach approach is about understanding things, you know, keeping your eyes off the ball, like what's happening outside of what you see on TV. And hopefully we get an opportunity to share some of that with you guys and, and, and you guys tune in and, and watch more of these episodes as we move forward. It's an exciting time for football, that's for sure. It is. And, and this is the time where, you know, everybody has talked down about this draft class. And it's been done for, you know, almost a year and a half where everyone's going, forget 22, trade for 23 picks. And that was going on. You know, two years ago with the hype of, you know, Bajan Robinson and you got the quarterbacks and Young and you got C.J. Stroud and you got Gibbs. And I, Gibbs was always a guy that, for me, he excites me when I watch him play. And there's – look, that's no disrespect. If I had the 101 in 2023 and things stand as they do today right now, it's Robinson. But oh. Gibbs has been the guy – from day one that I just can't keep my eyes off and watching him and the plays that that guy can make. So because of guys like that, it made a lot of people think that 22 does not have that class. And whether it does or does not, I, I want to do whatever I can in as many leagues as possible to try and get up to the top tier of the first, first round. Um, in one quarterback, more so than in two quarterback or SF, but – the one quarterback, which has been my home league for 26 some odd years, that's where I, I would love to get up in the top three picks because I, the draft may not be deep, but 
when you have a need at running back, I, I'm really excited about guys like Hall, Walker, and even Spiller. And I wouldn't take him at three because his receiving class is, is better than most. But I, I'm excited about the guys at the top of the board. No, and, and hey, you're kind of you're kind of dangling the carrot there, right? Because next week's gonna be a lot about the rookie class and what's coming up with the NFL draft and, and doing our own coach approach mock draft and all that fun stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm a huge Kenneth Walker guy. I'm a huge Brees Hall guy. Um, Spiller to me is my RB four. I've got uh, Rashad White from ASU at RB three. I know our boy Daniel, who's listening in, is a big Rashad White guy. I think he's got him at RB two, but. We'll talk about that and Zamir White and some of the other guys coming up in the wide receiver class. It's deep. Um, and there's a lot of potential there in terms of, you know, second and third round guys or second and third day guys, I should say, in the NFL draft. They can make an impact in the right situation on the right roster. But, well, we're, ex we're excited to get into that next week. But, hey, man, let's talk about news for this week, man. Let's talk about the NFL. What do we got going on? Well, news this week, I mean, news this week has been kind of light compared to what we've gone through uh, so far the first part of free agency and trading season when the official calendar opened. But uh, Bruce Arians, you know, when you talk about Tom Brady coming back and you talk about prior to him retiring, all the talk was about the rift or the supposed rift between the two of them. And, and um, then Tom comes back. Um, and then now here you go. Bruce Arians is gone. So, You've got people on both sides where I've even seen people suggest, I think it was our boy uh, Kevin, with how great has the, the Debbie Royal been lately, by the way? Kevin and Christian and Fantastic. Bell Atolls. Uh, man, those guys are absolutely kidding it, killing it. But Kevin brought up the fact that, you know, Tom Brady for Trey Lance because Tom Brady's always wanted to play in San Francisco. So with that being said, what are your thoughts on Bruce Arians calling it quits? You know, I'm a huge Bruce Arians guy. I mean, the situation he took in as interim head coach and, and with the Colts and what he did there. Um, then, of course, moving on to the Cardinals and taking the Cardinals with Carson Palmer to a Super Bowl, leading those guys with Kurt Warner, who's Super Bowl. What he's done is, is a quote-unquote quarterback whisperer, which I think is a loose term that's used too often in NFL circles. But, you know, Bruce Arians, hey, look, they got the guy in three years in Tampa Bay um, went 31-18. and 18, um, he brought in Tom Brady. Tom Brady, of course, helped bring in Antonio Brown. You can say what you want about Antonio Brown. That could be a topic for another day. Um, not a huge fan of the off-the-field and on-the-field antics. But um, they brought, you know, hey, in his three years, he brought him a Super Bowl. And now we hear today, I, I think it was yesterday or today, that he's going to be inducted in the Ring of Honor. And the only other person to get inducted in the Ring of Honor is, is Tony Dungy. Um, John Gruden, of course, won a Super Bowl there. But he's now been, you know, taken off the Ring of Honor because of things that have happened you know, with the emails, the NFL investigation. But, you know, kudos to Bruce Arians. And, and look, Todd Bowles has been a longtime assistant for him and a couple different stops. He couldn't have set this roster up any better um, for, you know, for him, for Todd Bowles to take over. Um, it, it, it's a great situation. you got Chris Godwin, who just inked a three-year deal. You've got the return of Tom Brady. Leonard Fournette's coming back. Um, there's a lot of exciting things happen. I think Gronk probably still makes that decision to come back and take another run. He's waiting to see how things play out. But it's funny looking at, at, at information, look at Bill Belichick online and what he did in his brief coaching as a head coach, his first stint in the NFL. And he was not very good. And, you know, he comes back to the NFL years later. And, of course, now he's one of the greatest head coaches in the history of the NFL, what he's done with the Patriots. Todd Bowles goes 26 and 41 as a head coach. 
with the Jets and, and not the greatest situations, not the greatest rosters, not the greatest depth. But Bruce Arians has teed it up for his longtime assistant and said, hey, you know, and hey, side note, if for people that talk about the Rooney rule, the Rooney rule is not in play after March 1st in the NFL. So the hiring of Todd Bowles has got nothing to do with the Rooney rule. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, that is Bruce Arians being loyal to his longtime assistant and a guy that he believes deserves another opportunity. And I would love I, I to see that. have success. Um, you know, Twitter is, it's funny because as bad of a rap that it has, and you know what, between you and me, part of the reason why I'm not on there as much as I used to be is because I, I don't like the drama. I, I don't, I mean, you and I, between the two of us, we're, we're like 96. Um, I mean, drama is not something that we probably want to partake in a lot. However, um, I did see a, a tweet from um, a former boss of mine over at Ball Blast in the last day or two, um, and that was uh, Michelle. And Michelle brought up the fact that uh, he got it over uh, the quarterback. And that would be uh, why am I why am I blanking right here? Help me out here, a uh, Leftwich. And so, what are your thoughts that Bulls got it over Leftwich? And, and now that you bring up the loyalty that the two of them have history together, he was his DC in Arizona, so it makes a little more sense. Well, I think that's exactly what it is. I think you know the reality is you got Byron Leftwich, you got Eric Bieniemy, you got other guys that have been offensive coordinators that have uh, had an opportunity underneath great signal callers like an Andy Reid with Eric Bieniemy and Byron Leftwich with Bruce Arians and what he's been able to do with quarterbacks in, in the NFL level. And I think that is the question. You know, why does Byron Leftwich not get the opportunity and why is it Todd Bowles? This team, since Tom Brady showed up and now he comes out of retirement, you brought in Antonio Brown. Chris Godwin has re-signed. You've got Mike Evans. You've got Leonard Fournette who's resurrected his career. And you do. You wonder, like, why go with the defensive guy when this team is built on both sides of the football, but why not go with an offensive guy when you got Tom Brady, who's the GOAT in the NFL, and has more championships as a single player than any franchise in NFL history? So I think it's an interesting move, and I think, you know, for me, now, of course, I'm an offensive guy, but I would love to see Byron Leftwich get an opportunity. I think it's long overdue for him to get the opportunity, but at the same time, I got a ton of respect for Todd Bowles and what he's done with defenses as a DC player in the NFL. I just think that it's Todd Bowles is not a guy for me as an ex-coach and a guy who played small college ball that I feel like walks into a room of 53 NFL guys that are playing at the highest level and demands respect in that room, right? Whereas I feel like Byron Leftwich has a charismatic personality, can walk into a press conference, can walk into a meeting room, and can have that you know, respect to the floor. So. I personally would have liked to see Byron Leftwich get the job, but I understand why Bruce Arians has teed this up, you know, for Todd Bowles, his longtime assistant. So I, I can't, I, I get it. The thing that I wanted to, but give me your opinion. Is there any, hey, 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 there's your bourbon bowl buddy right there. That is my boy, Brad Starks from Roto Lounge, man. I love that guy. History yeah. 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 Appreciate you checking in there. Uh, Brad. Um, but what I was going to go with that is that um, a lot of people, do you not think there's any conspiracy whatsoever? Did, did Tom force BA to go up to the, uh, you know, the front office or is this simply BA saying, Hey, I, I'm tired. I'm ready to let go. And more importantly, I am going to give 
my assistant of all these years an opportunity for a second chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's certainly speculation, right? There's, there's, and I can't remember who the reporter was. There was, there was some communication out there <coughs> that Tom Brady and Bruce Arians were having a little bit of a falling out. And look, I'm a firm believer in these are grown ass adults. Bruce Arians been around for a long time. One of the things I respect about Bruce Arians when Tom Brady came to Tampa Bay, he was not afraid to publicly call out Tom Brady. If Tom right. Brady made a bad throw, he was going to call you out for it in a press conference. He treats Tom Brady like he did everybody else. Like, hey, look, I get what you did in New England, but these 53 guys who show up every day as warriors and go out on Sunday or Monday night or Thursday night and lay it on the line for you, they're just as important. And I, I have no issue with it whatsoever. Um, I, I don't – I think the timing's weird. I think we'll find out in, you know, it could be years down the road when Tom Brady finally writes a book or Bruce Arians writes a book about his inexperience in the NFL, but uh, some of that stuff will come together. But – Look, is there some things that may have happened? Sure. But I, I just believe that Tom Brady coming back to Tampa Bay, there was a conversation between him and, and Bruce Arians, and I believe Tom Brady was in the loop. He understood what was going on, and he had signed off on it, and, hey, we're going to go. I made a joke on Twitter, um, having some fun with it, when the announcement first came out that Bruce Arians went up in the booth, that, that Tom Brady was like, hey, you know, I'm back. Let's run it back. Let's go. And then B.A. was kind of like, you know, hey, fuck that guy. He's going to want to bring yeah. up Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going up in the suite to party with the, with the owners. And uh, Ronald Jones was like, hey, yeah, you know what? Tom Brady doesn't trust me. He's a Leonard Fournette guy. I'm out too. Just kind of having some fun with it. But, man, there's always some things that happen within, the, the, within closed doors in an environment. As a football coach and a former player, we understand, you know, there's some dynamics there that will never get out to the public unless somebody writes a book. But right. I, I just take it as what it is. It's it's BA looking out for his guy, Todd Balls. Fair enough, fair enough. Let's move on. I don't know how much time we need to spend on this guy anymore. And that's because Taysom Hill is reportedly going to focus strictly on the tight position. My first reaction to this was a joke. And obviously, I mean – you would have had to be under the rock, under a rock, and ironically, I use the word rock, to not hear about Will Smith and Chris Rock. And the reason why I bring that up is that Chris Rock in 2016 had a joke about Jada Smith and her uh, desire to boycott um, the Oscars. And he said, Well, that's like me boycotting somebody's panties. I was never invited. And so Taysom Hill deciding that he's going to focus or the organization is going to decide to focus on him at strictly a tight end is simply, I mean, he's got that. That's all that is, that that's what he is. There's no, the quarterback dreams with now Peyton gone are pretty much gone. No. And Hey, look, I think it makes sense. If, if I had gotten the opportunity to be a head coach for the new Orleans saints and I'm looking at, strengths and weaknesses of the roster bill that, that's there. Um, I understand what Dennis Allen's doing. You know, you signed Jameis Winston. You got him under contract now. You brought in Andy Dalton as a backup. There's not time out of respect for what Andy Dalton has done over the course of his NFL career, what Jameis Winston has done. You say, hey, look, Taysom, look, to have you get reps as a quarterback probably isn't ideal for us. We'll still continue to run the Wildcat. We'll still continue to run you in short yardage and goal line situation. We believe you're a guy that can move across the formation using multiple uh, sets and you're a huge part of what we're trying to do. But 
it's time to give you a position full time. And if you want to call that an H back pullback, you want to call it a tight end, who cares? I mean, the reality is you can call him a tight end. Hey, for fantasy purposes, I'll take a Taysom Hill, a tight end all day long, get the rushing yards and the upside there, and maybe he throws a touchdown pass. Absolutely. You're an old Yeah, I loved having Cordell Stewart in fantasy football back in the day. Yeah. Because you knew that you were going to be able to get points in various different ways. I, I would, if I'm sitting there and I got a tight end situation, I would play Taysom Hill because there are going to be some work, some weeks in which, you know, he's going to score in various different ways. So he's worth the gamble at the tight end spot. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I put a, a post on Twitter the other day that talked about Tim Tebow. Had he come in the NFL today versus, you know, Taysom Hill, would you see him in a similar role? And the reality is this. Tim Tebow is a 4-7 guy. Taysom Hill is a 4-4 guy. There, 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 there's no comparison. And I kind of put that out to kind of bait people into a conversation. And, you know, the reality is Taysom Hill is a special guy. I mean, he could put, he had a winning record. And Tim Tebow, if you go back, had a run and, and led Denver to a playoff game. But Taysom Hill is special. And to be able to take him and say, hey, look, I don't want you worried about getting quarterback reps in practice. I don't want you having to worry about going through progressions and what the offensive playbook is outside of, you know, inside the quarterback room. Focus on the tight end, the H-back, the wildcat situation. We're gonna oh, everything. Sure. I mean, just, before, before even the quarterback talk came up, he was a hell of a special teams player for them. So, yeah. I mean, you're going to utilize him in many different roles, and it allows them to do so now by taking the quarterback – hat off of him to no longer worry about if he got hurt. So now they can say, hey, Taysom, get out there. Do whatever you do. And that's the probably the best thing for him because he's not a quarterback at the NFL level, but he's a damn good athlete who can make plays in various different positions. 100%. So that takes us to another damn good athlete. And, and I have – you know, it's funny, I, I teach, I'm a high school teacher, and I'm very fortunate enough to be old enough to have the job that, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate in the job that I have. And in my job, I work very closely with two other guys about my age, and we were talking about fantasy football and all the big moves made and, and, and the difference between having an incredible quarterback like a Patrick Mahomes or having a Russell Wilson early, in, early on when he was just a third-round pick with a very cheap contract, what it means to your roster. Well, nobody would have thought, but Tyreek was moved this week. And, and to me, that's all about numbers. I mean, when you pay a guy nearly half a billion dollars to play quarterback for you, you, you can't pay too many other guys. So Tyreek Hill is now gone. What were your thoughts on that? I love it. Now, now here's the deal. I have moved Patrick Mahomes, and we'll talk about rankings later, but Patrick Mahomes to me now has become the QB3 in Dynasty. I'll take Josh Allen. I'll take Justin Herbert. When you take Tyreek Hill out of that offense in Kansas City, and you have that no longer have that guy that can run your jet sweeps and can run, you know, uh, run that post route, take the top off, you know, create coverage, which gives Ty, uh, Travis Kelsey an opportunity to work underneath. It's a completely different deal. So I think you're going to see Patrick Mahomes going to come down a little bit. Now, I do think they're going to get a quarterback in the first round. They've got two picks late in the draft. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But 
I think the, t- the signing of Tyree Kill, Tyree Kill's value in terms of fantasy football goes down. But I love what Miami is doing in terms of putting people for Tua Tagovailoa in that offense. And you've seen Mike McDaniel now come out and say, hey, we see Tyree Kill in a Debo Samuel type role. That question was asked at a press conference. And I think people, if you look back, Tyree Kill played two years of junior college ball. And then he went on to play at Oklahoma State for a year where he ran the ball 102 times for 530 yards and a touchdown, also catching 31 balls for 281 yards. And unfortunately, there was a domestic abuse situation. He got kicked off the team at Oklahoma State and ended up transferring over to Western Alabama, where he ran 25 times for 237 yards and a touchdown to go along with 27 grabs for 444 yards and a touchdown. So his college... Now, he did everything on the punt team, punt return team, and the, and the kickoff return team as well. But he actually had more carries in college than he had receptions. I think that's important for people to understand when Mike McDaniel talks about, hey, we could certainly use Tyree Kill. And Mike McDaniel is the former OC with Mike Shanahan in San Francisco and played a big role in getting Debo come with plays out of the backfield. However, Tyree Kill, to me, is not a Debo Samuel. He's not built the same. Thank you. But, 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 so. but, okay, so I saw a lot of people saying the same thing. Because Debo Samuel, when you get hit by Debo Samuel, you know you've been hit. When you are faced with Tyreek Hill, you don't even know he was there. So even though people are on there saying, well, he's never going to be the Debo Samuel guy, okay, but that doesn't mean – that Mike McDaniel cannot find ways to get him the ball a lot easier with jet sweeps or whatever. I, I, I still think he can have a rushing role with the Miami Dolphins and still not be the same type of player as Debo Samuel, but be able to freaking create a lot of big plays for fantasy managers everywhere. No, and he will. And look, hey, Daniel Norgard makes a great point. Appreciate you tuning in, man. Um, money talks. You look at the contracts these players sign, and it kind of dictates what those touches or what that volume will be. I, I am a firm believer that targets are earned. Well, Tyree Kill in his time in Kansas City has earned the targets. He's also earned the opportunity in Miami that makes that offense better to carry the football. Now, again, is he going to run power? Is he going to mm-hmm. run counter? Is he going to run against a stack box? No, he's a guy that's going to run outside zone. He's going to run maybe a little bit of wildcat. He's going to be used a little bit differently than Debo Samuel because, again, he's not the same runner between the tackles that Debo Samuel is. But there's an absolute role for Tyree Kill in that offense. And I love it. And Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, just look at their 40 times. Look what they did at the combine. Look what those guys bring to the table in terms of stretching teams vertically. And now what that does open up things underneath for a Mike Jasicki. I'm excited about what Tua Tagovailoa has to work with in Miami, for sure. I'm just excited that he's going to get that shot because everybody is, I mean, literally, he has gone from tank for Tua before his senior year when he got here hurt to now people going, golly, let's bring on Deshaun Watson. Let's do anything other than having to continue to have Tua be our guy. And now they're 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 all in. And that's why when anyone talks about the Tom Brady trade to Miami, it's just like, I get it. If I'm an NFL organization and I want to kind of sell my soul to the devil and bring him in, not that he's a bad guy, but you are 
you are basically bringing in a guy who's going to win you maybe win you a Super Bowl a year or two from now or this next year. But long-term, you're not better off, I don't think. But if you get that Super Bowl and you get all the rewards that come with it, I get selling your soul for it. With that being said, it's not going to happen. So the fact that they're loading up on offense, I mean, we're going to get an answer on whether or not to the guy or not real quick. Well, I think that's the thing, right, is now it's a situation where Tua is no longer the guy where they're saying, hey, we've got to figure out how to protect Tua and how to call an offense that, you know, is not the same as it is with Ryan Fitzpatrick when Tua first came in the league, and we kind of, like, baby Tua. And, I'm, you know, as a coach, I'm never a firm believer in that. Like, hey, you've got to be able to do the same things as the number one guy. Now, if there's offensive schemes that fit what you do well, we can make some adjustments there, but at the same time, We've got to run our offense. This is the NFL. This is not – that stands for not for long if you don't play well. So I think, too, and now Miami's done a great job of building weapons around him. We haven't even talked about Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds being added to the backfield, what they've done with the with the, the full balance there in Miami. It, it, it is. It's a situation now where it's like, hey, Tua's got to put some numbers up. But I, I'm going to tell you this. I'm a firm believer in Tua Tagovailoa. So I think he's going to have a great year. He certainly got up in my dynasty rankings, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in Miami. You know, I'm looking forward to looking at their numbers as a team. Oh, look at this. Trey Lance. What, what are you talking about here, Debbie Royal? There's no better group than the Debbie Royal guys. I freaking – not just because we're on there with the Cut podcast, but I'll tell you what, the stuff that they're putting out right now is good stuff. But whatever. He's going to the Niners. Um. What I would say about Tua is that I do believe he's a better game manager than he is as a fantasy player. Meaning, if I am a, if I am going to be, I'm a, you and I are both high school, former high school football coaches. I want that freaking point guard at quarterback who I know is going to make the right decisions and make things happen, get the ball to the playmakers, which he now has. I'm okay with a 18 for 24, 224-yard game with big play. You know what I mean? The stats fantasy-wise I don't think are everything. I think two is going to be a good team leader, good NFL quarterback. I really do. Yeah, I know. Hey, I agree. Hey, let's get to uh, free agent and trade trade situations that happen in the NFL. A little bit late to the party because we're coming on a little bit late to the the deal here. But, you know, again, we want to take some time off personally to get some things in order. We're now officially back as we look into season two on the coach approach. But let's talk about some situations that have happened here with some free agent signings and some trades in the NFL. Well, I want to start off with the big one to me. The big one to me is Russell Wilson going to Denver. And the reason why it's big is bigger than just Russell Wilson. It's for guys like Jerry Judy. Now we get to find out what we got. It's for guys like Cortland Sutton. It's for guys like Javante. Javante Williams, I mean, as long as Melvin Gordon isn't signed, you've got to think pretty great about Javante Williams. And even if he does get signed, I'm still all in on Javante Williams. But the Russell Wilson move makes a lot of guys that were kind of irrelevant Unfortunately for Noah Fent, it doesn't help him. But for guys like Judy Sutton, it's pretty exciting time. And Albert O, Albert O is now being talked about. 
which, you know, I mean, that's a good thing for fantasy football managers. No, and I think, no, last year it was ironic because I remember doing Project 32 where I broke down all 32 teams in the NFL and did their projections, what I expected them to do in, in 2021. And, and with, with Wilson, what you're going to get, first of all, you're going to get, let's talk about the deal itself. Broncos get Russell Wilson in a fourth for two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and defensive tackle Shelby Harris. So basically what that says is the Broncos are all in on Russell Wilson, as they should be. Um, you can bump Cortland Sutton. You can bump Jerry Judy. You can jump. You can bump Tim Patrick, and you can bump Albert out. If you're doing dynasty rankings, all four of those guys deserve an opportunity to get bumped up. The reality is Nathaniel Hackett, who was a former OC in Green Bay under Matt LaFleur, was part of a 2020 Packers offense that was first in the NFL in scoring in 2021 and ranked eighth in passing with a 57% pass ratio. So he's going into a situation with Nathaniel Hackett where he likes to air it out. So you've got a Jerry Judy guy that can catch a 12-yard a curl route and turn that into a touchdown. You've got a guy like Jerry Judy that can turn a slant route into a touchdown. You've got a Cortland Sutton that can stretch the defense and win 50-50 balls and play that role that DK Metcalf played in Seattle. I'm super excited to see what the Denver Broncos do uh, this upcoming season with the addition of Russell Wilson. He's a top 10 quarterback in 2022, if you're talking about redraft and a more pass-happy offense with Nathaniel Hackett, who spent time under Matt LaFleur. Um, but I also think, look, look at what Russell Wilson does well. He's extremely good when he's off script. And he, throws Absolutely. An outstanding, and he throws an outstanding deep ball. He does. And you know what I like about most about what what I and I hate to cut you off, but you and I are both former coaches. And, and we know that there are a lot of times during a game things don't go as you drew them up to, to go. And for much of Russell Wilson's career in Seattle, it was all about the fact that once he started getting paid, they could not put together an offensive line. And what he was still able to do during that time was create and make plays with his athletic ability. And as a former coach, there's nothing better because there are times where you're going to face a guy in front of you who's just bigger, faster, and stronger. But if you got a guy like Russell Wilson or a guy like whoever behind you and he can make plays out of nothing, it just helps the offense so much. So just giving you that ability on top of everything else he provides makes all the guys that you mentioned, even Tim Patrick, as Daniel says, I mean, everybody that is associated with that offense has to get a bump. No, and, I th and look, hey, I'm a huge Devontae Williams guy. I hope Melvin Gordon in that situation plays out the way that I hope it will. I think there's a lot of Javante Williams guys from a fantasy perspective and say, hey, I hope Melvin Gordon goes somewhere else. Javante Williams, an elite running back. I want to see him as a top five guy. Talent always shows out. As a coach, as an offensive coordinator, talent's always going to show out. You're going to give the guy, the guys are the most impressive, as many touches as you can. And so I, I think that what Nathaniel Hackett's going to bring, and I won't mention names versus the offensive coordinator last year, is going to be very exciting for Denver Bronco fans. Let's not forget that defense is really good and can flip field position. And so you've got a situation now where 
I think that offense gets rolling with Russell Wilson. I'm excited to see what the Denver Broncos do in 2022. Yeah, it should. I mean, there's no excuses now because, you know, everyone's talked about how they have had a roster the last few years, but we can talk about that forever. But now they got a quarterback, and let's find out. And that AFC West, we could spend three weeks just on what has happened this last few weeks in the AFC West and how it's transformed the whole AFC. I mean, that AFC West is going to be nuts. And you talk about Tyreek Hill. We didn't even mention the fact that just the loss for Patrick Mahomes and the rest of the organization and what it does for them. We focus strictly on Miami. Well, let's move on. Deshaun Watson and Amari Cooper to Cleveland. So you and they still not been able to get rid of Baker Mayfield. And we think that's I mean, it's the contract that's making that happen. But regardless, let's talk about as a father a whole lot of daughters and daughters that I am, I mean, they, they're my world. It's hard for me to even talk about this, but as someone who has invested heavily in fantasy football, um, it has to be talked about. So with that being said, Deshaun Watson, how does this affect Denver? Excuse me. How does this affect good old Cleveland? And I mean, the contract itself, Take away all the other things that we don't want to talk about out of the equation. A fully guaranteed contract. I mean, Cleveland is all in. You, you know, here's the problem. I got I got three kids and two of them are daughters, right? I mean, I'm a huge daddy's girl. I'll be the first guy to admit it. I've got a soft heart for for my daughters, but I, I think the Sean Watson thing is like I, I I'm a firm believer in. Look, we're not a, a political. You know, uh, podcast here. We try to stay steer away from that. And let those that are more inclined to talk about that. Coach, you good? The reality is this: if you look at the contract, he was acquired in a trade with the Houston Texans with a 2024 sixth-round pick in exchange for three first-round picks, a third-round pick, and two fourth-round picks. So yes, they are all in on Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. They've moved on from Baker Mayfield. Yes, I understand he's still on the roster. That's going to play itself out. Just stay tuned. Give it some time. I know, hey, Christian Williams at C. Williams NFL, one of my favorite guys on Twitter. He's the reason why we have this opportunity this podcast. A huge Cleveland Browns fan. I know he's got his take on this. But what's extremely concerning to me, and I will say this, it's disgusting to me as a father of two daughters, that a guy who's been accused of 22 sexual assaults against women can sign a five-year, $230 million contract. And what the Browns did was say, hey, Deshaun, winning is more important than anything else. We are going to give you a contract in 2022 that only pays you a million dollars because we know the NFL is going to suspend you. So your game checks are going to be nothing in comparison to what you'll get in 2023 and beyond once this thing plays its course. I can't stand it. I think it's it's disgusting. But at the same time, I, from a pure football perspective, the Cleveland Browns are saying our defense is good. Our offense has Nick Chubb. We still have Kareem Hunt. We still have Dearness Johnson. We still have who we have at the wide receiver position, what they've done in terms of acquisitions as a, as a team and re-signing some free agents. 
They're in a win now mode. And that's more important than anything else that we can talk about. So that that's the part for me. And I just want to hit on that just to say, hey, look, if Deshaun Watson is suspended for eight games, as an example, I'm not high on Deshaun Watson in terms of 2022. But if we strip it down and we just say, if we just talk about the football aspect of it, then, you know, it's a different deal. And, and they were fifth in the NFL in rush percentage at 48.3% in 2021. They were fourth in 2022 at 49.7. This is a team that likes to run the football. They don't play in a dome stadium or indoor stadium. Really outside, they play in the elements. Deshaun Watson, if you look at it from a pure football standpoint, maybe he's completely innocent. I have a hard time believing that 22 women are wrong. I'll just leave it at that. But if that's the case, he's not Deshaun Watson that he was in Houston. I hate to break it to you. He's not. This is Cleveland. This is a run-first franchise. This is a franchise that is going to be dependent upon is Jarvis Landry coming back. What do they have at the wide receiver position? Their strength is in the run game. The strength is in the offensive line. The strength is in the defense. Playing field position, flipping field position, and going from there. So I don't see Deshaun Watson as a top five guy. I just don't. And, and, and that, I, I, hear, you, I hear what you're saying. I I gotta, I, we're on the same page with all that other stuff. And if I'm trying to take the – if people think I'm taking the easy way out by not discussing my thoughts and all that, um, uh, it, I'm sick by it. But the reality of it is, is that um, we play a game. He's part of the game. And with that being said, um, I still want him. I mean, I, I, SF, you talk – your concerns about the Cleveland type of offense that they run and all that, we're talking about a young kid still who's got a lot of years left. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to overpay for him. I won't overpay for anybody, but at the same time, um, I still think he's got 10 to 15 good years in dynasty football if things stay as they are. Let's move on, though, because – yeah. We, we This isn't the first disagreement we've had. And, and I'll say that because this goes back to another guy that made the news, and, and that's a guy named Carson Wentz. And you had written an article, and you had said on this podcast, and I'm not here to just call you out because I want to whatever, but the reality of it is that Carson Wentz went to Indianapolis. They gave up. A first, I believe they. I would assume that for they made the playoffs, right? Coach, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, so I mean, I think a lot, and now they're walking away already. And then you look at the things that Jim Ursay said. My concerns were with him said when I saw him after a loss and after being benched for Jalen, sitting on the bench and not back in the locker room. We talked about that. And that's the old football coach in me. Um, but the reality of it is, is that now we're hearing that Indianapolis, um, a lot of the players on the team weren't exactly wanting to jump back onto another season with him as their quarterback. No, and hey, that's what's frustrating. And you can use an example from uh, Draft Day, which is a great movie with Kevin Costner, where they talk about the quarterback that no one showed up at his birthday party. Right. And that's Carson Wentz in this scenario. You had a situation where if you look at statistically what Carson Wentz did 
from his last year in Philadelphia to his first to his one year in, in Indianapolis, he did improve. Um, he led the NFL in interceptions in 2020 with 15 and was sacked 50 times in just 12 games in Philly. He goes to the Colts, who have a top five offensive line, a top five running back. And in 2021, he had 27 touchdowns to only seven interceptions. It was only sacked 32 times in those 17 games that he played. Now, there's a big difference. You can say, hey, there's progress. But the reality is this, and I said this a while back. The only thing that's going to stop Carson Wentz, I wrote an article for P2W Fantasy about players I expected in 2021 to improve in 2000. I'm sorry, in 2020 to improve in 2021. I listed Carson Wentz because he's going to, he's going to the Indianapolis Colts. He's going to an offense with Frank Reich as a top five offensive line at the time and a top five running back in Jonathan Taylor. And he did improve. He improved immensely. But the one thing I said that he would lack that would hold him back is a six inches between the ears. And at the end of the day, that is what happened with Carson Wentz in Indianapolis is the team was not confident when it came down to it. And it showed in week 17 when you had a must-win situation against the Jacksonville Jaguars getting the playoffs and you couldn't find a way to win. So that, wrote, to me, wrote the book on Carson Wentz. If we talk about, I know Brett. Brett's having some issues right now, some technical issues. So we'll move Sorry on. Sorry about that. Holy oh, smoke! Oh, you're good, man. I was ready to roll. Well, yeah, I, I know you were talking about Carson Wentz and the issues that we had over the last year over him. And it's not issues. It's just for me, it's it's difficult to be fully or even invest in him whatsoever. But I do still think, as someone who has Terry McLaren in a lot of leagues, I'm happier now than I was prior to the offseason, because the options that Terry's had over the last few years hasn't been much. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's what's going to be interesting about what's going on is what does Carson Wentz do in Washington? And he's got some weapons there in terms of what he can do. So it's, it's, it's look, it's one, two, three strikes are out, right? You had an opportunity in Philadelphia. You led them to a season where you're an MVP candidate. Nick Foles led them to a Super Bowl the following year. It wasn't good. You go to Indianapolis. You reunite it with Frank Reich. You have a top five offensive line. You have a top five running back. In a situation where you don't have to be the guy that offense will run through the run game. And, yes, you saw improvement. At the end of the day, the locker room felt like you weren't a great fit. Now you're going to go to Washington with Ron Rivera. It's the last opportunity with the commanders. If this doesn't work out, you're a career backup. And I think yeah. that's as simple as that. I mean – I agree wholeheartedly, and we've, in my opinion, we've spent way too much time on Carson Wentz because I've been out on him for a long time. But here, I, I want to move on, and I want to move on to this time of year. And, and right now, we're looking at now that I'm back, and, and I, when I talk about me, I'm talking about where I'm at in my own personal process for fantasy football. So now that I'm back after a break. Now I'm going to be looking at ways to improve teams. And one of the ways is that prior to making my own rankings, I would put together kind of like what you have been doing recently with your consent recently in the last year and a half. But I would find people that I trust. I would look at their rankings, overall rankings, because I'm a guy who believes that I want to have the best players possible. So if I got a guy like, 
uh, Mixon, and he's ranked 18 in my guys' rankings, and I'm happy about that. Or I should say, I'm going to look and see if anyone above him who's ranked higher. Like, let's say, I don't know, Calvin Ridley a year ago. So Calvin Ridley a year ago was ranked higher than Joe Mixon in most one-quarterback rankings. I would look to trade a Mixon to the Calvin Ridley owner. My point is that rankings become more important this time of year in roster construction to me than do than they do during the regular season. So I, I know I'm a big fan of your consensus rankings. I know a lot of people reach out and say, when's that going to start? So why don't you tell me about how, how that really got going? Yeah, so, so it's interesting. The consensus rankings started out as a way as a, as a a way for people that were either a just starting out in fantasy football, or b looking for a way that maybe they didn't want to pay into the top websites or didn't have the financial means to pay into multiple sites. Want to understand, you know, what are the top sites saying? How are they ranking players? How are guys that are analysts in this space and do a phenomenal job one of the top rankers in the industry how are they viewing player profiles how are they ranking these guys and so last year started out with me saying hey I'll, I'll pay into all of the top sites i'll make that investment and create a consensus rankings of the top 25 to 30 sites in the fantasy football space to bring actionable content to people that want to know what is the consensus saying? How do I create my own rankings? How do I create my own big board walking into drafts to feel confident in the player evaluations and where I should draft certain players? And that's the reason why I started the consensus ranking. So I pull from all the top sites in the fantasy yeah. space. I, yeah. I take the time to pay into those sites myself personally and to give the people of Twitter um, the opportunity to see where does the consensus see certain guys right now? And how does that look going into your startup drafts in the fantasy football space? What I like about it is that, like I told you, that's how I use it, is I try and upgrade my own rosters by trading player C who may not be as equal in my rankings as player B, whatever the case may be. In your daily fantasy football manager role, how are you utilizing the rankings that you utilize? Well, I'm taking I'm taking the rankings of all the sites, and there's a few things that I do. So one, and of course, last year was my first year doing it. This year, going to the offseason, we're not even to the NFL draft yet. So I do consensus rankings by position. So quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. I don't do IDP leagues. So I don't include that. Um, I try to stick with the mainstream, what the mainstream does. And again, I take all of those sites and all the top analysts that I trust, that I think I've vetted. I've researched, I've had collaboration with, that I think do a great job putting rankings together. And I create consensus rankings. So for this upcoming season, I've got 22 analysts um, that have contributed to this. And I have a chat room on Twitter that is just for those analysts and those sites to share why they rank certain players a certain way, what they're seeing and gaining some insight into their process. So I can share that on Twitter and say, hey, this is what the consensus is saying. Are you are you before that? Uh, are you higher on certain players? Are you not? What do you like? What do you not like? And the tough part about this time of year is we're not into the draft process yet. So we don't know landing spots for rookies. 
So sure. some sites are already ranking these rookies based on where they see them going in the draft. Some sites are like, hey, I'm going to wash my hands. I don't want to be a part of it. And then I'll add my rookies to the to the rankings. So it's been neat to see trends and how that works in terms of you know doing these consensus rankings. I know for me, what I like about consensus rankings is that it's kind of like, I mean, you just kind of want a medium. You know, you want to know kind of what everyone's saying. And it's called a consensus for a reason because when I go through my own personal rankings and look at person A, B, or C, there's not many differences. And when you see a lot of big time differences, to me, it seems like it's more of like clickbait. Were there any big, like, Anybody have like a team pick or a play, I should say a player pick very high? Most people didn't, or vice versa. You know, there is. And, you know, I know for me, it's looking at, hey, as these trades and free agency is kind of playing out, what are analysts seeing? You know, what are they changing their rankings, you know, with certain players? And so I wanted to compile a list of rankings from analysts and sites that I respect that kind of create a one-stop shop for dynasty rankings and redraft rankings that support, you know, for those people that contribute to that. So it, it is interesting to see that and kind of where the rankings are going. So if I look at um, a high low, as an example, what are some players that I yeah, see? Just go, just go quarterback. Who was a guy that you thought yeah. was way too high on the quarterback list for most analysts? So too high, Mac Jones. Right now, he's coming in at QB 14. Um, can you guys see the screen that I'm sharing, by the way? No, we can't yet. So you're going to have to. Okay, I tried to share my been... screen. Let me see if I can figure out a way to do that real quick. Just to. You know, it's weird you bring up Mac Jones because a lot of people in the football spectrum think that they got a hell of a fucking player. Like, like they got a guy who can game manage the game, they got a guy who can make plays and, and take a team. Uh, to a victory, but fantasy-wise, they feel like they made a big miss. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you some examples. I mean, if you look at quarterbacks that are too high, I said Mac Jones, and I think a part of that is he's at QB 14 on the consensus rankings, but Josh McDaniels is gone. I don't love the pieces he has to play with. This is not Tom Brady. You have Jacoby Myers, you have Nelson Aguilar, you have Kendrick Bourne. They just don't scream sexy for me, right? This offense is going to have to go through the run game with Damon Harris and James White and uh, Ramondre Stevenson. That's what and how the New England Patriots are built. So I'm not a big fan of where the consensus is seeing Mac Jones at QB 14. I think he's a little bit lower than that until proven otherwise. I think if you look at, you know, quarterbacks that are too low, uh, Matthew Stafford right now is at QB 15. So he's under yeah, Matt Jones. Yeah. And I think some of that comes from people that are just scared of, hey, there's a lot of ages out there in the dynasty space that want to look at the age of a player and say, hey, how long can that guy be successful? So Matthew Stafford is 34 years old. He's ranked at QB, QB 15. Um, to me, I'm like, God, that's way too low. The guy's coming off a Super Bowl win. He has been the quarterback for two of the best wide receiver years in the history of the NFL. We talk about Calvin Johnson and Cooper Cup. He was a quarterback for both of those guys. 
who put up unprecedented numbers at that position. Um, now you add Allen Robinson, you have Cam Akers, you have an offensive coordinator head coach like Sean McVay, and a defense that will absolutely feel a flip field position and create more opportunities. They just signed Bobby Wagner, add that to Jalen Ramsey, add that to Aaron Donald, add that to what they're doing with Leonard Floyd in that defense. And there's an opportunity there, I think, for Matthew Stafford to be extremely good for the next three, four, and five years. You've seen Tom Brady into his 40s be extremely good. Why can't Matthew Stafford be the same guy? So I feel like he's he's valued a little bit low to me in the consensus rankings. I agree. And, and, and you know, it's weird because last year prior to him go, or actually after he was signed with or traded to the Rams, I, I tried to get him as many startup drafts. I will say I'm not involved in startup drafts this year. Last year, I've already had 15 startup drafts and I have not participated in one this year. So for some self-discipline, but last year I'm, I don't know why you want him on your tents and with his abilities, you do not get the rushing component with him. You don't. But an SF, I, that guy is is someone I'm very happy to have for a long time. Yeah, four, I, I agree with Daniel. I'd rather have staff for the next four years than back for the next eight. Perfect. Give me – Give me the whole system of the Rams over the whole system of New England with that over Matt. Hey, let's let's talk about the running back position. You know, I think what's what's weird is if you talk about consensus rankings and who I think is too high, and this is going to surprise some people because I was a big Ezekiel Elliott defender going into the 2021 season. Um, so I people think people need to understand. The Dak Prescott injury, the Zach Martin injury, the Tyron Smith injury in 2020, all of those guys were coming into 2021 being healthy. I expected Zeke to bounce back in 2021. It just didn't happen. And when you look at dynasty rankings, I'm always looking three years out. Okay. So Zeke Elliott is going into, he'll be 27 when the season starts. If you look at the history of the Dallas Cowboys, the reason why Zeke Elliott who signed a big contract, and a lot of people will tell you, you don't sign running backs to big contracts. Volume matters. So if you look at last year, from a pure volume standpoint, he was top 10 in several advanced metrics based on volume, including snap share, he was 10th, carries, he was 7th, targets, he was 7th, red zone touches, he was 5th. You can go on and on and on and on. The problem is, when you look at the efficiency of Ezekiel Elliott, which to me is really, truly, truly matters is you have, he was 42nd in true yards per carry, 43rd in yards per carry, 28th in juke rate, 52nd in breakaway one rate, and 32nd in breakaway runs in total. And if you add that into, yes, follow the money. If you follow the money, Ezekiel Elliott seems like a buy. But the reality is, you look at the advanced metrics from 2020 and 2021, he is declining. He is not a guy any longer that's going to get three to four yards, juke somebody, not get touched, and take off for 50 to 60 yards. Those days are gone. They are. 
So it's it, sad yeah, because I'll tell you what. That. Yeah. It's, there's it's, so many. Elliot's me is too high. I think running backs and the fantasy football spectrum over the years, it is such a different thing from when I started in the early 90s. Me, like today, if it was 1993 when I started fantasy football and someone sent me a trade offer for, I have Justin Jefferson and someone offered me Najee Harris for Justin Jefferson and I'm in a standard scoring league where running backs rule the you know coop, I, I would have took that all day long. Today, I didn't even think about it. I mean, running back, it's, yeah. it's not, it, it is such a different world that we live in for us old timers in the fantasy football world, as far as running backs aren't what they used to be. And the amount of time and effort that goes into the game, if you want to play it and learn, right? It's a whole, it's a whole different thing. You can't just, I was listening to XM radio fantasy football today and I believe it was, uh, I, I don't know which one of them was, but cause it's on my car pretty 90% of the time talking about how the fact that you always want to be in the leagues with the guys that go pick up a magazine on the way to the draft. Well, those days are not, those are few and far between. No, and I think if you look at Twitter as a whole, I, I think what's happened with Twitter is it's become a space for advanced dynasty players. Instead well, of, I mean, that's a great point. I, yeah. I'm the worst. I'm sorry. You and I drink the whole time. I'm cutting you off. But I will say that I believe 98% of the conversations on Twitter that relate to fantasy football are, are analysts talking to under, other analysts. They're having to prove that or why they believe the way they believe or whatever. And what gets lost in it is the reaching out to the average player, to the guy who picks up. Instead of mocking the average player who picks up a magazine on the way to his first draft, too few people actually reach out and spend most of their time on Twitter talking to them. Most talk to other analysts. No, and that, that, that is the problem with Twitter, I think, is it, it, it literally is, um, you know, trying to get more engagement, trying to get more followers. Say, hey, look, followers are important. Without followers, we're not growing in that space. But there's so much content being put out. There's certain analysts out there that, that talk about advanced metrics. And they talk in a language that is not understood by the average fantasy player. And look, the reality is the average fantasy player makes up 70% of the space. There's not enough good content out there to help guys that are just getting started in fantasy or maybe only playing a few leagues a year to help them actually win their league. Redraft is still way more popular than Dynasty. Dynasty is really a Twitter thing. If you look at Redraft, and I'm a big Redraft guy and a Dynasty guy, I love both. They have their own perks, but there's not enough information out there for Redraft guys for people to win their home league. And hopefully that's what the coaching uh, will bring is an opportunity for anybody, whether you're a beginner, you're intermediate, you're advanced, the coach approach is going to help you figure out how to win your fantasy leagues. Well, coach, we can do this all night, but we're going to cut it, cut it, not cut it short because we're over an hour. But one of the things that I, I would like to talk about is I'm really looking forward to what we got coming up. Like we're really going to focus over these next few weeks on rookies. We're going to focus on, 
expertise on what you should be doing during this quote off season time. And then we're going to focus on, you know, our own personal rankings and kind of just throw them out there and seeing what sticks to the wall. No, I think that's the fun part is, again, you know, the goal of the coach approach is to help people understand is bringing actual football to fantasy football. What do teams do schematically? What do things do from a defensive perspective? How can teams offensively exploit the weaknesses in that defense and create bubbles of space or um, separation in the passing game to create more opportunities for your fantasy team to win? And, you know, I think that's going to be a big part of next week as we dive into rookie rankings, potential landing spots, you know, maybe we'll do a mock draft, um, you know, the big board that shows standard versus one quarterback and super flex and how to create, how to walk into your draft without buying a magazine. It was written, written weeks ago, finally got published. Now you pick up that magazine up at a target, you go out and walk into your draft. That magazine's already outdated. You need to figure out what is the newest, latest information um, to win your fantasy football leagues and to win money and tell your wife, hey, I may have invested $700 in fantasy football, but I want $1,500. bucks. you are welcome. That's what the coach approach is here to do for you is help you win your fantasy leagues and, and understand how to bring the real NFL to fantasy football. Coach, glad to be back. Looking forward to doing it again next week. Big plans coming ahead. And uh, thank you all to watch. And uh, good job tonight, Coach. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon, bro. All right. Have a good one, everybody.